Today we begin a five-week series on prayer. It's timely, I think, and probably, probably long overdue. As we move forward uh, with purpose as a church, fulfilling the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment, we must remember that it's God we seek, right? Ultimately, it's God we seek, and it's God in whom we trust. Prayer reminds us of this. Prayer is one of the hardest, easiest things in the world. On one hand, prayer is as easy as talking. But even easier than talking, because with prayer, you don't even need to move your mouth. Open your mouth or move your lips. It's as easy as thinking and directing your thoughts toward God. And this you can do from anywhere, at any time. Yet prayer is one of the hardest things also. Just raise your mental hand if you've ever felt guilty about prayer. That's your real hand. I meant your mental hand. But thank you for your honesty. Me too. Or if someone were to ask you, how's your prayer life these days? Which, by the way, is a great way to kill conversation. What would you say? And how would you know, really? I mean, is, is your prayer life measured by how long you pray? What you pray? When you pray? Or how many people for which you pray? Is it whether or not your prayers are answered as expected? Or how quickly? You see, the questions are many, and we could go in a number of directions with a topic like prayer. The Bible is full of related passages, but my desire for this series, for this series, not an exhaustive word, but my desire for this series is to return to the basics, to the very heart of prayer in order to encourage your prayers and mine and ultimately your relationship with God. Today I want to consider some common problems with prayer. I want us to consider Christ's teaching uh, in Matthew 6 on prayer, on the practice of prayer. And then I want us to consider the very purpose of prayer. And finally, I want us to see how, kind of in a, in a wonderful way, just a little hidden under the surface, how Jesus brings us back to the gospel, I think, in this passage. For at the heart of it, at the heart of it, prayer is simply the pathway to a more personal relationship with God. Truth is, most of us struggle to pray. And even though we truly love the Lord, like many of life's good-for-you disciplines, eating right, or regular exercise, for instance. Prayer is one of those things where our desire often exceeds our doing. 
Jesus captured this struggle perfectly when he said, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We struggle with defeat. We know we can pray more. We even want to pray more. We hear of those for whom prayer was just a way of life. People like George Mueller or Martin Luther or Susanna Wesley. People who literally prayed three, four, even five hours each and every day. We hear of that and on one hand we want that. But on the other hand, we feel so defeated by comparison. How could I ever attain that? We struggle with distraction. The digital age, with all its advantages, is full of distraction. We live in a world of constant ringing and pinging and swooshing, or whatever tones you prefer. Calls, texts, emails, notifications, alerts. They all come from all angles, whether it's Facebook notifications, so-and-so commented on your comment. Or sports scores, friends and family members. Everyone wants a piece of us all the time, at any time. We struggle with busyness. I mean, frankly, the Western world worships at the altar of productivity. It's ingrained in us to do, 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 more, more, more. And the self-gratification of crossing off a task from our ever-growing list gives the impression that we're getting stuff done and we're making a difference. But prayer, by comparison, seems so unproductive so unmeasurable so inefficient we struggle with fear what if nothing changes what if I pray for this or that and it doesn't get better what then and so we fear the unknown and avoid it we sometimes fear God's response or the possibility of no response listen we even fear God at times as if he's not as as if really he's not for us but against us bottom line we struggle with unbelief all the time, right? All the time. Prayer can sometimes feel like this ongoing tug of war between faith and doubt. And sometimes in our heart of hearts, we wonder if prayer matters all that much anyway. After all, the skeptic inside us thinks, what difference does it really make in the grand scheme of things? What, what does little old me bring to the table in the sense of this big, wide world? Martin Lloyd-Jones, he summarized our struggles very well. 
of all the activities in which the Christian engages and which are part of the Christian life, he said, there is surely none which causes so much perplexity and raises so many problems as the activity which we call prayer. Nonetheless, in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, prayer is assumed. Notice with me that Jesus begins verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7 in the same way when he says, when you pray, not if. Jesus assumed that prayer would be part of our normal practice, and practice implies that prayer is involved. It's just part of the normal rhythms of our everyday lives. Like so many other things in life, we learn by doing. Uh, so right now, I'm, install <laughs> I'm installing overhead racks in our garage at home. Never done this before. It's not complicated work. It is not complicated work, but it's taking me forever because I've never done it before. I'm having to position and reposition the racks in different spots, looking for just the right place, measuring and remeasuring, marking ceiling joists, moving ladders, climbing up and down constantly, contorting my, I never thought about this, contorting my body to get used to working like this instead of like this. It's all part of the deal, gathering the right tools for the job. There's this definite learning curve, and slowly but surely, it's all getting done. Prayer has its own learning curve, and we learn to pray, hear this, by praying. We can talk about prayer, read books on prayer. By the way, we've got some great ones. Jeannie Dedman, our church librarian, has picked up some great books on prayer. I think she'll be bringing those out over the course of these five weeks. But we can talk about prayer, read books on prayer, watch and listen to others pray, but not until we begin to pray ourselves do we put prayer into practice. Sure, I could hire a professional to install my garage racks. But that's not an option when it comes to prayer. When it comes to prayer, we're all do-it-yourselfers. And the more we do it, the more comfortable we become, assuming, of course, that we know some basic do's and don'ts, and that's what Jesus is getting at here in Matthew 6, some basic do's and don'ts. We'll start with the don'ts. He says in verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Likewise, he says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think, they think they'll be heard for their many words. 
And what Jesus is saying here in these two verses is fundamental. The hypocrite of verse 5, notice, prays to impress others. They want to be noticed by others and lauded for their spirituality. One can't help but think that Jesus is referring to the Jewish Pharisees who, in his estimation, typically came across like religious show-offs. And in the same way, the Gentiles of verse 7, they also prayed to impress. But unlike the Pharisees who tried to impress others, notice the Gentiles were trying to impress God. They used big words and flowery expressions, empty phrases, heaping them one after the other after the other, thinking the way to get God's ear is to wow him with our prayers. And when I look back over my Christian life, honestly, I've been guilty of both on occasion. Like the Pharisee, I've certainly been guilty of trying to impress others. And like the Gentile, I've also tried to impress God. And you know what? I suspect some of you have too. You know what I mean. I've heard it said that prayer is one of the last bastions of legalism in the church because so often in prayer we're tempted to be perform and become someone we're not. Why is it that we turn prayer into performance? Complete with our own prayer script? Our dramatic movements and tones of voice, the posturing of our bodies, other spiritual costuming. Why do, we, why do we use words when praying that we never use otherwise? Why is that? Why do we pray in ways, again, voice inflections, tones of voice, bodily movements? Why do we pray in ways that just feel theatrical? and even contrived? Why do we package ourselves? Why do we feel this pressure to package ourselves a certain way in prayer? As if God doesn't see us the other times in our lives. Oh, but he sees me when I pray, and so... Here I am. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be like the hypocrite or the Gentile. Prayer's not performance. No, 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 he's saying. He's saying just the opposite. Listen, prayer 
is grace. Prayer is relationship founded on grace. But when you pray, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, verse 8, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrite or Gentile, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, don't miss this. I, I really believe that what Jesus is saying here is everything. What Jesus is saying here gets to the very heart of prayer, and I think the reasoning goes something like this. If God knows us, and He does thoroughly, and, and he know, if He knows what we need even before we ask, and He does completely, and if He is sovereign over all things and perfect in love and wisdom and power, which He is on all fronts, then why pray? So I just want to say it again. I, think, I really do think this is what Jesus is unpacking. If God knows you completely, and He does thoroughly, and if He knows what you need, what's on your heart, what's on your mind, even before you ask, which He does completely, and if He is sovereign over your life and all things around your life, and perfect in love and wisdom and power, which He is on all fronts, why would He have you pray? Because prayer is relationship. Prayer is grace. Prayer is you spending time enjoying your Heavenly Father. Jesus bringing us back to the heart of communion with God, to relationship with God as Father. Twice, uh, actually three times, twice in verse 6 and once in verse 8, he speaks of God as your Father. He says your Father again in reference to prayer in, in verse 15 and again in verse 18. The Lord's Prayer, which we'll consider next week, begins with the words, Our Father. So Jesus is emphasizing the main purpose in prayer, mainly to enjoy relationship with your Heavenly Father. To enjoy relationship. with your Heavenly Father. Listen, prayer itself is not the point. Relating with God is the point. Getting to know God better is the point. Knowing God as your Heavenly Father is the point. Just as communication is key to any healthy relationship, prayer is key to our relationship with God Listen, in prayer, you don't create intimacy, 
You just make room for it. And so intimate is this relationship that it's like that between father and child. The father-child picture is helpful in that it speaks of closeness. It speaks of familiarity. It speaks of bonds of love. Now, I know that some people's relationship with their earthly father is or was not entirely good. I know that. I know that's true for some of you. And that sometimes we project that earthly experience onto our relationship with God, which may cause us to feel, it may cause our relationship with God to feel distant or superficial or forced or even threatening. But the earthly cannot be compared to the heavenly. I mean, even the very best of earthly fathers pale in comparison to our heavenly father. Fatherhood is not merely a role God plays. It's who he is. He is father in the fullest, most complete way imaginable. God is a loving father to all who trusts in him. He is good. And hear this. He desires good always for his children. And the Bible says he works all things for the good of his children. The Bible says that God has sent his spirit into the heart of his children. And the Holy Spirit uh, within us, the Holy Spirit himself cries out from within us to God and cries out, we're told in Galatians 4, cries out, Abba, Father. And this word Abba is a very tender word. It's our word Papa. Very intimate, very tender, very dear, very personal so we've got the Spirit of God, God, the, the Spirit of God living inside us, who's drawing us to the Father in a way that just says, Papa. And don't you love that? You see, to know God as your Father is to be loved beyond measure. It's to be safe and secure and valued and known and welcomed and understood and free to be vulnerable, free to be yourself without even the slightest pretense. Don't be like the hypocrite of the Gentile. You don't have to be. He's your father. Free to be yourself without even the slightest pretense. And I wonder, could it be that that's what Jesus means when he talks about praying in secret? When he says to pray in private, in the room, with your door shut, I don't think he's confining prayer to a private place closed off from the real world. I think he's juxtaposing prayer that is performance-based with prayer that is rooted in relationship. As if to say, go, See your papa. He's teaching us to be in private, who we are in public, and vice versa. Like any good father, God doesn't want the pretend you. He wants you. 
He doesn't want your persona. He wants your true person. And so when we come to God, we must put aside all our spiritual masks, all our pretense. The real you has to meet the real God. C.S. Lewis put it like this. I was encouraged to read this. He said, The prayer preceding all prayers is this. May it be the real I who speaks. And may it be the real God with whom I speak. Relationship. Relationship. It's father-child relationship, but, but again, he doesn't just want relationship, he wants you. And he doesn't just want you to want relationship, he, he wants us to want him. God wants to be with you, he wants to be with me, he wants to be with us as our heavenly father. Which means you must learn to pray like a child. Right? I mean, that's the obvious implication here. In ways that run counter to our grown-up sensitivities, God actually celebrates our childlikeness. He does. He welcomes us like beloved sons and daughters. He understands our naivete, our neediness, and that we don't know it all or have it all together. He gets it. Children are, children are dependent creatures, right? Especially young children and infants. They're utterly dependent upon someone else, and they know it. They know they're dependent. <laughs> I was thinking this week, maybe that's why they ask so many questions. They know they don't have all the answers, at least not until they become teenagers, right? <laughs> Children are beginners. Beginners who look to and lean upon their parents. Jesus wasn't talking to experts here. Far from it, he was talking to people like the disciples, for example, who thought they were too busy to pray and even fell asleep during prayer. Has that ever happened to you? Of course it has. People who struggled with prayer and no doubt questioned their proficiency at prayer. People who fell into the same performance-based traps we do. In other words, Jesus was talking to people just like us. When it comes to prayer, we are all like children. We all need our Heavenly Father to pray like a child is to recognize that. It's to recognize our dependence upon God and then to trust in the Father's grace, which, of course, means that we must see our need for Him and His help. And I saw this, I learned this or observed this firsthand when I was relatively new in the Lord, just a couple of years old in Christ. I saw this, um, what am I looking for? The word, I saw this uh, demonstrated or illustrated or pictured through a very good friend of mine. I'll call him Dan. 
Dan was one of the men God brought into my life through the church, kind of took me under their wing for periods of time, invested in me, and taught me more than I ever knew at the time. At the time, I didn't realize what they were teaching me. I realize more of it now. Dan and I used to play pickup basketball at a nearby community center one evening each week. I think it was Wednesdays, but I'm not sure. And on one particular Wednesday after a night of hoops, Dan was dropping me off at my house. And so we pulled to the curb like we always did, and we said our goodbyes. And, and I began to get out of the car. And as I did, Dan asked how he could pray for me. And I don't know what I said, but I must have said something because Dan began praying. And this wasn't a quick see you later kind of prayer. Like, I know you're getting out of the car, so here's a 30-second jobber. And this was five minutes turned to 10. 10 quickly became 20. And then sometime around 30 or 40 minutes, Dan finished. I was kind of floored, stunned, confused, blessed. I mean, 30, 40 minutes in prayer was an eternity for an eight, any 18-year-old, right? I mean, that's an eternity for me, even now, for many of us. And to my knowledge at the time, I'd never been prayed for to that extent with such genuine care and concern. I mean, Dan was bringing up aspects of my life and one aspect would just roll over to the next and to the next and he was just praying, praying, praying. But I want you to hear that it wasn't the time that Dan spent, it was the example as he set. For Dan, prayer was more than just an add-on. It was central to his communion with God and his relationships with people. And the more I got to know him, the more I saw this modeled by him. Here's the point. Though I didn't know all the details at the time, I knew something was up. But I didn't know all the details of time, and I didn't need to. Though I didn't know all those details, Dan's family was falling apart. And it was tearing him up inside. His world had, had been turned upside down and was crashing down around him. Dan was very much very much a broken man. Very much, very much aware of his need for help. And I'm convinced that it was this, his utter dependence upon God and his trust in the grace of God that made Dan a man of prayer. Now, the circumstances are different, obviously. 
But I want you to know that we're all like Dan in some way. We're all broken in some way. We're all dependent upon God. We all need His help and grace. In fact, did you know that the word prayer comes from a Latin root from which we get the word precarious? Maybe that helps explain why trials and seasons of suffering are typically marked by prayer and spiritual growth because it's then, it's in our precariousness when we, like children, lean most heavily upon our Heavenly Father. It's then, like my friend Dan, when we trust more fully in His grace, when everything's stripped away, it's then. And so my encouragement, one of them is, don't be embarrassed by how needy your heart is today. Don't be embarrassed by how needy your heart is and how much it cries out for grace. Just pray. Paul Miller writes in his very, very good book, I'm thoroughly enjoying it, it's titled A Praying Life. He says, we don't need self-discipline to pray more. We just need to be poor in spirit. Poverty of spirit, he says, makes room for his spirit. It creates a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And so what's happening here, I think, is prayer is like returning to the gospel over and over again. I want you to pray like you believe the gospel. Like you believe the gospel. Sin is what makes prayer feel so foreign and difficult. Sin breaks relationship. Ever since the fall, we've been out of relationship with God and the effects of original sin are still known and felt today. And and because we're sinners ourselves, those effects affect every part of us. We are lost and broken, but God is making all things new. Your heavenly Father. God is restoring that which was broken. Jesus, the divine Son of God, is seeking and He's saving the lost. Jesus came for us, lived among us, died in our stead, rose from the dead to secure new life on our behalf. And the Spirit of God uh, is drawing us, calling us to come in repentance and faith, which means leaving behind our sin and shame and entrusting ourselves to Christ and crying out, Abba, Father, here I am again. In essence, we come to God with a prayer, right? At the very beginning, at our conversion, we come to God with a prayer. We cry out to Him in need and we receive His grace and love. Prayer is our expression of faith in God. Prayer is an expression of love for God. Prayer is how we initially respond to God and to what God has done and is doing in our lives at the time and around the world. Prayer is our reply to God. Prayer, as Tim Keller suggests, is the continuation of a conversation that God has started. 
To believe then is to pray. To believe is to pray and to pray is to believe. And so pray, pray, pray like you believe. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel and return to it always. Go to the Lord like a child and enjoy your heavenly Father for at the heart of it, at the heart of it, prayer is simply the pathway to a more personal relationship, communion, fellowship, intimacy with God. Amen? Amen. God, thank you for the time we've shared this morning. We are not professional prayers. Thank you, that's not what you want. Nonetheless, I pray you'd help us to pray and to pray more and to pray with a greater understanding of who we are in your estimation through Christ. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for your mercy. I just have this image of, of a loving, caring, gentle, in-control father who's just kind of with his arms outstretched just kind of beckoning us to come. Help us to come and to enjoy you all the more. Thank you for Jesus who not only saved us, but by the work of the Holy Spirit is still sanctifying us, cleansing us from the lingering effects of sin, even removing sin bit by bit from our lives so that nothing would stand in our way of communion with God today and tomorrow and every day that follows. We bless you. Amen. Amen.